Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part three of our celebration of the one-year anniversary of my online clinics. We're marking the occasion by getting together with some of the people who are regulars in the coaching sessions. Last week, you met Connie Dwyer, Taylor Colbert, Dr. Claire St. Peter, Amy Stevenson, Muna Klo, Jennifer Kung, Janet Devine, Marcy Ingram, and Svenja Sobinski. This group represents a wide range of experience, both with clicker training and with horses. But everyone is an expert in her own experience. And as you heard last week, they have a lot of great training wisdom to share. Last time we talked about some of the puzzles positive reinforcement training presents when you first begin to explore this work. We talked at length about labels, and Svenja shared that wonderful study of one story about the way the label she attached to her horse took her down the wrong training path when she was trying to teach him to go out for walks with her. So now we're going to change gears, and we're going to talk about horses with lameness issues. But before we get started, last time I told you that I have a fun announcement to make. I won't tell you what it is at this point. I'll let you listen to the podcast, and at the end, I'll share my news. So now I want to circle back to where we started, which was this whole question of horses with physical issues, because this seems to me to be talk about a label, but it seems Mm. to be a big bucket that a lot of horses fall into. There are times when I feel as though all I'm doing when I look at video is saying, oh, look, I think your horse is lame, Mm. which is not really what I want to be saying. But in so much of our horse experience, we are taught to disregard, to push through, to ignore, to punish the grumpy ears pinned ears, the swishing tails, the uneven gait is just how that horse goes. The reluctance to go forward, just get a whip, just get a bigger whip. All of those things blind us, keep us from seeing some of the gait abnormalities that exist in our horses. And I go back to an experience that I had years ago with Peregrine. And Peregrine had Potomac horse fever which he thankfully obviously recovered from, but it did impact his feet. And it took me three years to bring him back into soundness with his feet. And during that time, I had various vets looking at him and and helping me to evaluate where we were in terms of his feet and his overall well-being. And Part of what I was seeing was a horse who was moving in this really short-strided, choppy way. And I was boarding in a lesson barn where a lot of the horses were older. I think at one point, the average age of the lesson horses was 
something like 28 or 29, but she used a lot of older ponies, a lot of older horses. She used a lot of ex-polo horses in her lesson string who had a lot of physical issues. And they were being ridden by beginners. And they moved in this choppy, short stride that basically they were, they were lame, but they were able to do their job of carrying young children and they were well taken care of. And they, I would say on balance, had a really good life. But that was not my thoroughbred. He normally had this big ground covering, beautiful trot. And I'm seeing this short little choppy strided trot. And so I had the vet come in and I wanted him to do nerve blocks on Peregrine's front feet to find out where we were in terms of the foot damage from the Potomac horse fever. And at that time, the, the hot lameness was were hocks and horses were being injected. So what vets were seeing, what they were, it seemed like every horse that my clients were having vets look at, it was, oh, the hocks are, are giving your horse trouble and you need to inject the hocks. And so this vet came out and first thing he said, well, he doesn't really look that lame to me because he's comparing him to these other horses in the barn who are in their late 20s, their 30s, who have been worked hard and who are arthritic and who are lame, but that's normal. And he's comparing them to a lot of other horses that he sees who are arthritic and lame, but are still being ridden but they move in this short strided way and that's the norm. So his eye has tuned to that movement. And I'm saying that movement is not this horse. That's not how he's trained. That's not how he normally moves. So could we do nerve blocks on him? Well, I think it's in his hocks. So, you know, we should, let's, let's do x-rays on his hocks. Let's inject the hocks. I can feel it, it's in his front feet. Could we do nerve blocks on his front feet? And finally, to just to sort of in this very patronizing way, he said, all right, we'll do, we'll do nerve blocks. And he did the nerve blocks on Peregrine's front feet. And his comment to me was, I've never seen a horse with hock problems get so sound so fast from nerve blocks in the front feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess it wasn't his hocks after all. And so what we are looking at, what we are seeing in our horses, I think, and this, has, this is not really so much about clicker training in terms of we're using a marker signal and we're reinforcing with food. It's more related to an obsession with balance and obsession with details that we are seeing so much more and we are seeing the challenges that our horses have. And then we are scratching our heads and trying to come up with ways of helping our horses. And Svenja, you have your hand up, so jump in. I'm doing a course on gait analysis because of that, because oh. I know like, because, well, I'm I'm obsessed with details probably, <laughs> so, but trying to learn to see more. So, so I have, one of my horses has stifle issues and we started the conversation today unrecorded I believe with stifle issues and that they may be anything it's a knee so just having the 
diagnosis of stifle issues is not enough to be able to treat a horse or be able to decide what kind of movement the horse should do or should not do. So it's it's really, really difficult. So what's helping me with your work is to not ask for any movement that might be painful because my horse has a choice. And I'm watching for the very, very, very subtle signs, what might not be good for him. But this leads to me trying to figure out how can I see more also to direct my vet to the right area where we would then want to do more analysis on whether there's yes. a real problem or not. And just because you, you started out now telling you kind of feel like you look at a lot of videos and the first C is there's an unsound horse. And now I was trying to, to look up in this gait analysis course I'm doing. They start out with a couple of facts from studies that are not that old, actually, that say there's more than 50% of the horses where the owners say this horse is not lame that are lame. Yes. It's, it's more than 50%. It's like, it's 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 about 55% of the horses that are judged as not lame by their owners they are actually lame and it's really really difficult to see this so it's really important to learn to see what signs do you have to look for and i feel people like us that are really trying not to force the horse to do anything and really train their observation skills we are more likely to then see the problems that may occur and then also you do a lot of video coaching and video is a lot easier to you know look back look slower look yes. like it's a lot easier than seeing it live while a horse is walking in front of you especially if you don't know where to look or you don't have the eye train for that yet it's, so I'm sure you could spend your whole life on this very subject you oh know? definitely and <laughs> and when, you know, when I was with Cavalia and had a lot of very experienced writers around me and, and traveling and looking at people work in the professional world, they use a lot of equipment that will, that's even worse than asking for just one behavior, but they force the horses in certain positions and they work them in those positions. And then you hear one experienced writer criticize the equipment that the other experienced writer used or how tight it was or all these details and then you see the novice writer use that equipment <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing and they're yes. forcing the horses into all these positions because they read in a book that that's how you get collection or that's how you exercise a horse for this muscle and that muscle it's it's a big area and it's I'm like I said, I'm sure you could spend your whole life on it. And you even, you know, we've we've joked, Alex, about this when you have two vets trying to file lameness and they don't agree on which leg is lame. Yeah. So, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't educate ourselves, even though it's a very vast subject. Jumping into your vet opinions thing, there's also also fact in those studies that there's 77% of the experienced vets 
will see the lameness but will not agree on which leg is lame right. so it's it's actually it's it's not yeah it's it's, yeah, it's I, a lot that makes me feel and so they've studied good. it they've yeah. studied it quite a lot because that's um, you know that's their thing is and and, yeah. and when i'm looking at a horse and, and i can say you know there's something there's something not right he's you know there's something th this horse looks lame to me but I'm not sure where it is. And you hear vet and farriers discussing yeah, this yeah. too, and they don't agree. And, and that, that really makes me feel so much better that there is that lack of agreement because it's okay to look at a horse. And, I mean, if the horse has an abscess, it becomes pretty obvious where the problem is. But for a lot of these, it's really subtle. And you can have an initial insult on one joint that then throws everything else out of alignment and where you start protecting. And so now your back hurts, but it wasn't, your back didn't start out hurting. It's hurting because you have a, st a stone in your shoe that you silly person didn't take out. You walked around lame all day because you didn't bother to take the stone out of your shoe. And now you've put your back out. Which is why also it's important to like, look at the horse in the same situation the same day because the next day it might have changed yeah. and I even though you can see a lot from observing the horse's gait so so this is just the starting point because the, I I think these these numbers of for example the vets not agreeing where exactly things might be just leads us well at least it leads me to the conclusion that you can always just take this as a starting point to then go yes. into a further diagnostic procedure, whatever the right word there would be, because you need to physically really figure out where it is. It's not a matter of observation to diagnose a horse with, well, stifle issues, for example. And I, and but I I've think also, I've also seen, you know, when we were, we were buying lots of horses and I was more the kind of person who would say, we need documentation, we need to see the x-rays, we need to see inside, right? And, you know, if I x-rayed all of you, you probably all have little things that are actually not quite what they should be. And what I've learned over the years is that sometimes the really experienced horse people could tell better than the x-rays, you know, they, they would feel the horse's legs and they would, and then there was the ones who would say, oh, well, with exercise, you can solve everything. With exercise, you can, you know, with good gymnastics, you can solve it, which I think can be true, but maybe not always. <laughs> well, and that, that ties into a thread I wanted to pick up. So we're saying, you know, if the horse is got a physical issue and is showing signs of pain that we want to back off and not say, well, you must, you must, you must push through that pain and do what I'm asking. So you can see yourself getting, it's sort of like what you were describing, Svenja, in terms of the walking out, that your world could get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because, you know, anything that you ask for, the horse is going, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. I don't want to do that. So you feel, am I, am I going to be trapped? Am I going to be trapped in this really small, tiny world with this, this horse who's saying no to me? That hurts, that hurts. And what I've experienced is 
the complete opposite of that. And it relates to another element that we brought into this work, which is the Feldenkrais work. And we often have Anita Snay joining us in the coaching sessions. And today she's not been able to join us to jump into this, which is too bad since this is now sort of her area. But in the Feldenkrais work, the awareness through movement, you're starting out, first of all, you're starting out with non-habitual movement. You're starting out as far away from the area that's being protected, as far away from the area of discomfort as you can possibly get, if you can get away from that. And you're asking for tiny, tiny little movements, these tiny little movement shifts. And those of you who have participated in any of the Feldenkrais sessions, you know that you can go into a session feeling creaky and uncomfortable and you think, oh, I'm just, I'm just lying here on the floor, not really doing anything, and a tiny little movements. And then you get up and you're moving with such ease and such comfort. And so small movements have this enormous power to, to ripple through and change how an individual experiences his body. And it creates that possibility, that opportunity for change. And I've seen this in my own personal horses where, you know, I've had just these profound, profound physical disabilities. And, you know, where, and this cycles back, Jennifer, to where you were saying we need to change the goals, you know, where Peregrine's mother, who had the neurolog profound neurological deficit. And she was first horse who I taught to Piaf. So hmm. I know that when you start, when you start with that tiny little curl, and you use the loopy training structure, where you're staying with clean loops and what can you do, what can you do, but you're always pushing the boundaries. Hmm. You know, you're always looking for what else is beginning to pop out that I can go after. And, and that's the key. And if you have a horse, I mean, if you have an acute injury, and we've all probably been there, you know, whenever I've been injured, I always study myself. You know, how am I moving? What am I able to do? Oh, it takes me, it's taken me half an hour just to figure out how to get one foot out of my car so that I can begin to, to stand up out of my car. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, and that really hurt. And now how long is it going to take me to get my other foot out of the car or, you know, to sit in a chair or to stand up from a chair? Well, that's an acute injury. And that's when you really do take care. But then as that initial pain decreases, I always find it so interesting to observe where I compensate, how I move, what else am I putting under stress? I always ask that question of, if I were watching me move, would I be able to tell which leg it is that I'm protecting? And the answer is often, I would guess the wrong one, which relates to, can you tell which, you know, where the horse is, is hurting? But the Feldenkrais work, and when we take that concept and apply it to the horses, the potential for change and expansion is enormous. So we may have to pull in so the process is 
you send a video in because you, you know, you're part of the, the clinic. You've sent me a video. I've watched it and I've gone, I think, I think there's something going on there. I think there's something physical going on. Your horse looks unlevel. We get the vet out. The vet says, you have a stifle issue. Okay, information. What do we do about that? And then we have to think about what Svenja was just saying. It's a label, but it's not an answer. And it can be referring to different types of injuries. Is it really in the stifle? Or has the stifle simply become inflamed because there's some other triggering factor? And what else has become involved because the stifle has been injured? And you're you may be in an acute phase of mm. this horse has just taken the proverbial bad step in the pasture. So we have to pull in and be really conservative in terms of what we ask. And so you pull in for a while, but you're not gonna stay there forever. You're gonna to begin to that process of saying, well, here's this one small little thing that I can ask you to do. And when, as I ask for that, then I can begin to see that I can ask for a little more because it's popped out. It's what Amy was describing with the work in the stall. Of, can I ask for this shift forward and back? Can I, can I observe you and see when you're on your own, what can you comfortably do? Well, then I can ask for that. What do you avoid doing? Well, I'll avoid that now too. And gradually your world expands out until you get to the point where you may keep the label like I would always refer to Peregrine was a horse with stifle issues mm -hmm. because that was the teaching journey that he put me on. But the stifles were no longer a limiting factor in the way that they were for the first eight years of his life where he locked up hard and fast in both stifles. But you really have to listen to the small nose if you're going to go there because, you know, I you would always think at least I, I don't want to do any harm. Yeah. Well, and he's, I mean, he's responsible for so many good things. So the, the riding, you know, the, the single rein riding and the way that I teach it, that teaches you how to go to a point of contact and the rope handling where you learn to go to a point of contact, but not beyond. That's Peregrine's teaching. Mm. I'm just the conduit for that. But that is his teaching. Because if you apply pressure against a horse with the kind of stifle issues that he had, you, that you would lock him up. And horses with stifle issues tend to have the tendency to either rear or to bolt through the hand, the type of stifle issues that he had. And he was not a rearer, thank goodness, but he would blast through the hand because that's what he had to do to relieve the pressure on his stifles. And so mm -hmm. he taught me to go to a point of contact and to wait. Mm -hmm. And he was a very demanding teacher. You know, we are, we are so conscientious about not using aversives. Horses have no qualms about using aversives. Cats have no qualms about using aversives. Are you awake yet? Let me just pat your eyelid with my paw. And oh, and let me have my claws out while I do that. Are you, oh, look, you are awake. Fancy that. <laughs> they have no qualms about using aversives. We're the ones who are going, oh, we don't want to do that. So 
he was a very demanding, very particular master teacher. And he taught me the value and the importance of going to a point of contact and not beyond. And the beauty of that is that that's a good thing for all horses. I don't mm -hmm. think I have encountered a single horse that does not benefit from that skill of being able to go to a point of contact and to then let the horse respond by moving his own body rather than you moving his body for him. And that was, that was part of his great teaching. So, so Connie, you have your hand up. Yeah, so working through with Josie I'm on the same topic, I don't really know where her pain is, but she was very tense that to me, I know there's something going on. So now I'm faced with, you know, having other bodywork people come in, the chiropractor she kicked at and the massage therapist she rears when, when the woman goes near her hind end. So I know kind of where things are, but so I, it's good to find people that can work with you. So the farrier, remember that whole issue, yes. there's a lot of yes. rearing with the farrier too. And, and when she pick up her hind feet or even go to tie her tail to keep it out of the way, very defensive. But we've worked through that with positive association. So just using clicker training, not to train anything, but just to get her to accept other people. She's very suspicious <laughs> if there's another person there and it's not, you know, I might be there too, but I've even gotten to the point where I don't even hold on to the lead rope because that could provoke her. Yeah. She feels trapped. So I have one coming out again on Monday and she goes, oh, last time I came, I know we couldn't do anything. I said, that's okay. I'm going to take good notes and see what you can and can't do so I can keep working to get her better to be able to be worked on. Cause I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the vet says there's nothing wrong with her. So, you know, did a gait analysis and said, Oh, she's fine. Just get after her a little bit more, you know, well, I'm not going to do that. We know that. <laughs> so, so that, that brings us to stories, you know, cause we tell stories about the horses we're around. This horse is a rescue. Immediately that brings to mind stories. Josie was a, a ranch horse that, bring stories to mind. Mm -hmm. And what I've always found is I want to tell stories that work to the horse's benefit and that open up doors that provide me with a way forward. So there are two possible stories that, two potential stories that we could tell about Josie. One is she comes from a ranching background and some of her handling was very strong. A lot of punishment perhaps was used with her. And so she's very defensive. And when you begin to ask her for certain things, that's the trigger for the rearing. It's a trigger for her feeling defensive about other people coming up and approaching her and doing anything with her because she's expecting bad things are going to happen. That's a story. And that actually takes you down a training route, you know, in terms of, all right, what are the component skills that we need to teach her? So it opens up a whole lot of what is it that I would like her to do so that when people approach her, that she has coping skills that keep right. her safe and to keep the people safe. And then the other story that you're telling is that there's something physically wrong that she is protecting. 
And it could be that both stories apply or just one of them applies. And you're, you, know, you put on your Sherlock Holmes hat and see you know, where does that fall. But in both of those, it's going back to, all right, what can I ask her to do? What does she feel safe and comfortable doing? Now that I have you know, really looked at who Josie is and under what conditions is she able to, to work comfortably with me and under what conditions do I begin to see the no's? So that, and I don't want to turn a small no into a large shout. So what do I need to do to keep her from shouting at me or to keep her from shouting at anyone else? And what I, I think that there is an enormous amount that we can do, you know, we can do body work ourselves. We yeah. can, you know, when you're asking for a, like the, the, the hugs, that, the awareness hugs, when you start asking for those, when you're asking for these tiny little gives to the side from the horse, that frees up the pole and it ripples through their whole spine. And that's something that we can learn to do ourselves, but the learning that we have to do is more on ourselves. And this goes back to the, again, to the Feldenkrais work. Because if, if I am tight in my body, if my shoulders are tight, if I'm holding my breath, if I've got a lot of make it happen in my body, and I put my hands on either side of the horse's head and I'm looking for that soft give, well, first of all, I'm not gonna feel it because the tension in my body is gonna block that. I'm not gonna feel the subtlety. And what the horse is gonna feel from me is that heaviness and the tension. And the horse is not going to want to melt into my hands. So in that situation, a lot of the learning sits not in what can I teach my horse, but what do I need to work on in myself so that when I go to my horse, I'm the best teacher that I can be. So I think a large part of, you know, when I think about when I, what I'm referring to as clicker training, and when I think about clicker training, in fact, that's an interesting question. So I won't say what I think about when I think about clicker training. Instead, I'd like to ask each of you. So when you think about clicker training, if I say the word clicker training to you, what images come to mind? What, do the, what does a clicker trained horse look like? What are they doing? What images come to mind? What? For, for me, it's communication and it's everything. <laughs> Just because <laughs> I guess I've been doing it so long, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything, but... Yeah, for me, it's a very attached, involved horse really into you as, as their partner, as their mom, <laughs> whatever they look at us as, you know, but, you know, a connection, a very positive connection. So a lot of good energy. I mean, that's what, that's what I feel when I think about it. It's not really about clicking and giving a treat. Right. You know, it's just part of me. It's something that automatically happens <laughs> whenever I'm around any of the animals that I have, you know, around me, but, and I, and I totally agree with what you're saying as far as it definitely comes from me. Cause a lot of 
that rearing could have been tension on my end. And then, you know, she's very trapped. She's got somebody she doesn't know on the back end. And then somebody she thinks she trusts hanging on to her head, you know. And I always love Anita's sessions because I think yes. they really, really help us understand what we, what we need to do. But yes. I've been working a lot on the give with her. And at first she was very tense with that. And Josie's really now melting kind of, I would say, yes. into my hands. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So let me ask the, all of the, everyone else. So, so Taylor, what, when I say clicker training, what images does that bring to mind? What does that I think mean? It brings to mind like more of a feeling of like, I think one of the horses I work with at the rescue was just, a she was completely unhandled. She was a completely blank slate when I started working with her. Like, I don't think she had ever had a halter on because she looked at it and was like, oh, what is that? And she's been so fun because now she is this bright, sparkly little mini. And she like, we just, we go for walks together and I put her on the trailer yesterday for the first time and she just didn't bat an eye. She walked on like she'd been doing it her whole life. And she's like, I love it because it's, it's a relationship and she has ideas about things. She loves climbing up on things I've learned. And so like we were walking past these rows of stalls and there was, they had just built the stalls. And so there was, there was this big pile of maps down at the end. And so like stall maps. And so I was like, oh, let's go explore down this aisle. It's new. We haven't been down here. So we walked down and I'm going to turn around and go back out the other way. And she's like, no, 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 no. We're climbing on the mats. And so she goes, we walk up to the mats and she hops up. And I didn't ask her to hop up. She just wanted to. And so that I think is what, what it brings to mind for me is that like I can hang out with her and it's just, it's fun. It's hanging out with a friend. And isn't it fun to have these discoveries? know who they are and what they like and that there is that that freedom under the clicker training umbrella to make those discoveries I think that's delightful neat so Marcy what does clicker training mean for you it it's how I do everything (laughs) I don't have a deep answer anymore it's become ingrained it's about listening like five years ago, I would have said, I want to be able to see a horse better. I want to be able to read their eyes and their face. And are they happy? And it was an important thing for me. And, and I don't think I'm there yet, but I think I've learned so much about, you know, is, is this okay? And, and it's okay if the horse wants to go the other way and I want to go, you know, I just wait, they'll go, we'll go that way. And then we'll come back. It's, it's changed my sense of time and, and it was not a very sophisticated answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a great answer. <laughs> it's a wonderful answer. So it's it's become easy and incredibly difficult all at the same moment. Mm. And yes, that's the paradox of it, isn't it? Yeah. That it it is on one end very simple idea, and on the other end, and it's a very complex idea, all in one. Yeah. So Svenja, Svenja, what would you say? For me, it's a lot about the conversation and the dialogue that is developing. So it's it's less, at least today, not in the beginnings, but today it's it's less a training tool. It's more a communication tool. Mm-hmm. I'm able to use clicker training to tell my horse what I would like. And he's able to respond in a, like, he's going into a conversation with me about what he would like to do. And then we're able to figure out together 
what we want to do together. And it's what is interesting is that actually this morning I learned you you can very much see that from the outside. So everyone always comments that he's waiting for me when he sees my car. But today was a day where we did stable duties and he actually moved places. So I was putting all of his stuff into my trailer to move it before I moved him. He moved like 500 meters down the road. So he would walk, but I had to walk back and forth. So we started out with him just being happy to see me and following me around. And I got a comment from another girl for that. Oh, Darian, he wants to do something with you. It's obvious from the outside, like people can see, you know, your horse really wants to do something with you. And I'm saying, yeah, but, you know, I, I'm actually, I feel really bad because I can't right now. And then I started packing his things up. So he saw me move the mats and he saw me move the food bowl and he saw me move the seesaw and he kept trotting back and forth with me because every time I had to walk through his paddock space and I could feel him and it like that was what made me really feel bad is I could feel him getting more and more frustrated because he was seeing me moving his, his toys, toys and he really wanted to play with me he really really did and I was just moving them out of his reach. And it so it actually resulted in, in a lot of trotting, a lot of like jumping around, a lot of trying to, to cut me off to get me to play with him. But the good thing about this is it's a conversation. And I can even in this situation, I can use my click and I can use my reinforcement to then tell him, no, please stay next to me or please go stand over here for a while yes. because that is what I would like you to do. But he's also, it's, it's a dialogue. Yes. I, I was also very aware what he wanted to do. And this is something I never got before I switched to clicker training. I kind of had a feeling for what my horses liked more than other, but now it's, it's really a conversation. So it's, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a long answer. It's a great answer. <laughs> yes. And it prompted Taylor to put her hand back up. So I just wanted to add to my answer because I feel like I have a more succinct version of what I was trying to say. <laughs> I think that it, for me, creativity is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And sort of this like co-creation that we have with the horses, that we are co-creating something and that, that it, it's unique with every horse, that we're never going to create the same thing with one horse that we do with another, but that there's this really collaborative journey that you're going on that, that you're going together. You know, it's not that I'm leading it and it's not that the horse is leading it. It's that we're figuring out together what this thing is that we're making. Yeah. Yeah. Great answers. So let's see. So Amy, what does clicker training mean for you? Wow. Everybody has said such amazing things and people were stealing my answers. So <laughs> it's okay to repeat. Well, everything everybody else just said. I love the I love the conversation aspect of it. It's a dialogue, a communication. It's like our own invented language together that we understand. Yeah. 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 Invented language together is a great phrase. So Claire. So when you think about clicker training, what comes to mind? 
Well, I agree with Amy that people have already said a lot of wonderful answers, including some pretty horse-centric answers, which I appreciate that those were the first ones that emerged. But because I'm later in the conversation, I will take a, a human-centric view on this. So one of the things that I think is great from a human-centric perspective is that I think that clicker training really helps to promote this idea of a circumstances view of behavior. This loops back to what we were talking about before about not imbuing the learner with the with a trait, but rather looking at behavior as being contextual and able to be taught and changed in, in positive and meaningful ways. And I think that that also then results in more, we talked about relaxed horses and horses that feel like they have choice, but I also feel it, it results in more relaxed and empathetic people yes. and people who feel like they have choice around their horses. And so I, I think that there are some lovely human-centric sides to clicker training approaches and, and things that the trainer gains out of it, not just that the horse gains out of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That we can go home at night and live with ourselves because we're not feeling guilty about things that we did at the barn. No. And, and not giving up on horses. I and think, not giving right? up on like, horses. This is not just a horse that, you know, is a rescue or is a bad horse or is a mean horse and therefore like period the end, or which is an old really, horse. You know, or is an old, old horse or yeah. is a lame horse or, you know, insert whatever in the yeah. blank. I think you can view little loops and little paths forward for almost any horse. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that feeling better in ourselves is part of the safety net for the horse. Because if, if you're coming back from the barn feeling refreshed and feeling good about yourself, you're more likely to go out to the barn again. That's an important safety net. So it's not just a, a great benefit, it's part of the horse's safety net. So Dominique, what do you think of? I agree with uh, Svenja. I think the conversation is the big thing for me. I remember when I first started clicker training, I really felt that very strongly that I was communicating with my animal and that it was like astonishing. You know, I, I marveled at it. So yeah, a, com a, a communication tool, a conversation. The only thing I would add to what everybody else has said, I guess, is that for me, there's a strong trust component to it, safety for the word safety comes to mind. And what I mean by that is safety, mostly from the point of view of the animal. I know my animals feel safe with me. Yes. I see that they can, they, they trust me. I've never broken that trust. Clicker training has given me the means not to break the trust because I've learned other ways to do things than to go somewhere that would break their trust. And it's not, it's not about the food because, you know, I've seen people use food to break the horse's trust. I've seen that many times where people use the food to trap them and the horses don't trust the food anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's how we, the way we're taught how to use the food, how to use what reinforcement really is that creates this trusting relationship. And of course, when you have a horse that trusts you, you become safer too, because they don't have to say the big nose or the big, I don't trust you. So yeah, trust for me is a big part of it. You know, I feel that 
It's a responsibility I have that I can uphold. I don't know if that's the proper word because I have the, the knowledge now with clicker training to do that. It's a lovely umbrella, isn't it? That we're mm. training under. And, and I think we've had several people who have had to leave because been, we've been talking for quite a while. And I just think that's a lovely note to end on of what does clicker training mean to each of you? And you've made you know, these wonderful statements. When I think of what a clicker trained horse looks like, you know, I see the relationship that's so clear. I see the sparkle in their eye. I see the energy and the brightness and the enthusiasm for the interactions. And because of what we can teach using this amazing communication tool, I also see horses who are relaxed, who are soft, who are round, who are carrying themselves well, who are just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful horses. Um, so the physical balance, the emotional well-being, the deep relationship are all part of what I think of when I think of a clicker trained horse. And what I also know is that clicker training attracts the, just the nicest people. <laughs> and I think we've had a really good illustration of that this afternoon, that you have been wonderful sharing your clicker training experiences, your clicker training questions, your clicker training enthusiasms with everyone. And I really thank you, thank you, thank you immensely for participating this afternoon. And you've done exactly what I hoped we would have, which is, you know, and I, I, what I was hoping is that this would be like the experience that we have at the end of the day at clinics and we're all sitting around the kitchen table and we're just chatting and talking about what's occurred during the day and talking about our horses, talking about training, and it's a back and forth interactive conversation. And that's exactly what you've given us. And so I thank you. And I have a feeling that people are going to really enjoy eavesdropping in on this, this podcast conversation. So thank you immensely. I haven't played the music yet that signals the end of the podcast, because I know that for some of you, that's the cue to switch off the recording. I told you at the beginning of this podcast that I have some exciting news to share. And now, finally, it's time. I have a new book that is about to come out. It's called Modern Horse Training, and the subtitle is A Constructional Guide to Becoming Your Horse's Best Friend. When I listened to the answers that everyone gave to my question, what does clicker training mean to you? Clearly, what they value is the relationship that develops. Yes, they are all able to do some very fun things with their horses, but that's not what they talked about. They talked about the dialogue, the conversation, the sparkle, the relationship, the creativity, the listening. All of this leads to wonderful friendships that develop between horses and the people who love them. And that's really what this new book is about. It builds on all of the work that I have been exploring over the last 30 years, and it draws it all together into a very thorough, comprehensive, easy-to-read guide to training your horse. The book is written, it's edited, it's formatted. I'm in the final stages of preparing it for publication. 
but you can't order it yet. You can't even pre-order it. You can't go online and see what the cover looks like or read a sample chapter. All of that still needs to be set up. I'm simply letting the cat a little bit out of the bag by letting you know that the book is coming, and it's coming soon. So keep listening to this podcast for more updates and details about the book. I'm excited to be able to share it with you. If you want to get on my mailing list so you're sure to get an announcement about the book, just email me directly and I'll add you to my mailing list. And now I will cue the music. And I'll also tell you that next week we'll begin a conversation with Dr. Claire St. Peter on extinction. It's a fabulous, fabulous conversation. She adds some really neat nuances to our understanding of extinction. So you're definitely going to want to listen to that. And I'll have more updates for you on the new book. Until then, train well and have fun with your horses.